Hey everybody, Kenny here. The episode you're about to hear is about growth and hypergrowth. And my guest, Steve Hooper, and I went a little longer than we like to normally, so we've broken this up into a two-part episode. Here's part one. Hello and welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and in this episode, we are visiting with Steve Hooper, who is the Vice President of Product Development here at InfoTrack Systems. Did I get that wrong? Product Management. Product Management, Vice President of Product Management. That's horrible of me, but Steve, thanks for joining us. No, absolutely. Glad to be here. So today we're going to be talking a lot about growth and particularly uh, how to manage growth and how to plan for it. Um, we're going to use a loose framework of, of going through um, uh, a document that Steve provided called the Ten Commandments of, what is it, Ten Commandments Ten of Growth? Ten Commandments of Growth. Okay. Um, but first, Steve, why don't you give us a little bit of, of background on yourself uh, within the MLM industry? Sure. Thanks, Kenny. And like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to visit. Um, I started out in the industry when I was about 10 years old. My dad got involved with a, a direct sales company, and they were doing home care products, home cleaning. And I learned quickly that for every bottle I sold, I could make 50 cents. So I started door to door. So at age 10, I recruited my first downline. I got my little brother to carry the tote bag. And uh, little did he know that um, I would make 50 cents and then I would give him five. So I had a good profit margin of about 90, 90 and a cost of goods of, of that five cents per sale. Um, Following that, uh, I stepped into the accounting and technology side as uh, things were really exploding there um, and went to work for one of the large public accounting firms, a regional firm, and then um, a good friend of mine invited me to head up IT and uh, finance for a startup company. And that company grew within the first couple years from startup we did 10 million our first year 125 our second year 200 our third year and that one just kind of I, I really started to see what what goes on within this industry and how things can grow and how they can grow exponentially and so yeah i just really have attached to that and developed a real love and passion for our, our whole direct selling network marketing industry and uh, have uh, spent um, the rest of my career just working with direct sales companies. And now, uh, having come in-house with, uh, with uh, InfoTrack Systems and heading up product management. This is perfect. And, and I think, I know I've worked a, a long time with you, and, and your expertise and insights have always been very helpful to me. Uh, and I think this will be a good topic to, to discuss, especially with your perspective of having been with a number of companies that have experienced that hypergrowth. And one of the things that you mentioned as we were talking before, before we started recording was that uh, hypergrowth or, or extreme growth can be as deadly to a company as no growth at all. And I think that's something that, that people don't realize. Um, and the first commandment that we have here is have a vision and set a big, bold goal. Why do you think that's important? And how does that set somebody up so that they're planning for that growth? Well, let, me, let me lead into that first vision uh, for, for just a minute, or that first commandment that we talk about, about having a vision. Because when we talk about growth, the one thing that I always like to think is we're always talking about the future. 
And, um, you know, we, we sit back and, uh, you know, the future is something that we study, uh, we make predictions about, we build models, uh, we prognosticate, to use, I think, one of your favorite words, we ruminate on it. And, uh, and so there's still, though, are going to be surprises. And it's something that's very important. I think Mark Twain said it best when he said, I'm very interested in the future because I plan to spend the rest of my time in it. And so we, we have to talk about the future. And now to put that in context where we talk about the future and then we overlay growth on top of that future is something that we really need to be aware of because uh, there are companies that I've worked with that you could sit down and they say, we're gonna grow. And I can say, let's look at what you've done for the last year, the last five years, and maybe five years is better because you can take that five-year history and you can build a model and say, I can fairly well predict what's going to happen in the next five years unless you make changes to your business model or to your strategy or your focus, or in this case, unless you change your focus and, and your vision and really make this huge, bold, bodacious goal and say, here's what we're going to do. And so um, why, don't we, why don't we touch about um, you know, that vision for just a minute? Because you know, one of the groups, I'm, I'll give you an example, uh, met with the owners of a company and they're just a startup, a couple months old. They were already doing well, doing a few hundred thousand in business. And they sat there and they're like, Steve, come here, we want to show you some space we're getting ready to rent. Like, sure. And I loved their vision. They said, within two years, we're going to be a hundred million dollar a year company. And that was a big goal. We're going from a company that's doing a couple of million dollars to a hundred million dollars. They say, we're going to do it in two years and we're getting ready to sign a lease on 2000 square feet. And my response, I laughed. And, and, you know, they kind of looked at me and you could tell they weren't happy with it. And I said, Please don't, don't you know, take this wrong, but if you're going to be a $100 million company, let's break that down. That's $8.3 million a month. And I took them down and said, here's how many orders per day, how many transactions we're going to be doing on a daily basis in order to support that and the team that we need. And do you think we can do this out of that 2,000 square feet? And they're like, well, well no. I said, okay, so I mean, this is not a personal attack, but I, need, I needed them to expand their vision. They had a big sales and a growth vision, but they didn't necessarily understand the operational side of what it would take to make that uh, vision or that dream come true. So I find, I find that interesting because I think you hit on a couple of good points that I'd like to kind of pull out of that, which is, first of all, part of having a big, bold goal is then saying, okay, we want to make it to 100 million in two years and then doing what, what you talked about, which is saying, okay, that's how much per month, that's how much per day on average, right? And what does it take to get us there and what does it take to support that? Uh, but then I'd also like to get your thoughts on how do you then, if you're that person in that position, because a lot of people talk about one of the keys to success is, you know, this idea of inflatable furniture, right? That you can expand and contract as needed as you're on that trajectory up because you don't want to get into a ton of fixed expenses that are bigger than you need. So uh, how would you suggest people walk that line of saying, okay, well, we need maybe a hundred thousand square feet, but we don't need it yet. But we don't. Right. And so now, now we get into some, 
uh, very strategic thinking. This is where we sit down and we have to make a plan because we can build a model that says to do 100 million in business based on an average order. And, uh, and when you think of an order, and, um, and I, I like to put things in terms of numbers of transactions. So $100 million, we break it down into how many transactions do, uh, need to occur on a day, daily basis in order to make that happen. And now we build the models around that. And those models are just like, say, those models are human capital. How many people do we need to support a transaction? Um, all the way through from uh, uh, a sales and marketing team, uh, field development team that's supporting them, training programs, events, and we work all the way you know, through operational side of the business. How many different touches really occur when we think about a transaction associated with a company? And so now we have to learn how to scale and then how to choose the right business partners that can scale with us. Because when you, the, the interesting thing is we think about growth and we say, wow, we're gonna be $100 million. But that also means our employees are gonna be employees of a $100 million company. Our entire supply chain has to grow to support a $100 million company. All of our technology partners throughout the entire organization, everyone has to grow with you. So it's not just we're growing. So, you know, that strategic planning becomes key. First of all, it's the big bodacious vision, but now there's gotta be a strategic plan that supports that vision. And it's gotta be a realistic plan. I mean, I sat with one group and um, had a great year and we sat down in a strategic plan. I mean, we're laying out the next year and, um, and we just said, okay, so what's the sales forecast for next year? And they put a number up there that was 3X. So they just had a record year and put a 3X number. And again, it was how it, it's, that's a great goal, but how are we gonna get there? It was not a realistic goal. And they had not defined a plan that would change based on what we had just done the past year to enable that to happen. So we're gonna plan strategically. We're gonna be realistic. Throughout that time, we're gonna set milestones because what we're gonna be looking for is that company starts and we're not gonna go rent 100,000 square feet. We're gonna go get modestly what's within a framework, but as we start to see triggers occur, we can project out what's gonna happen over the next three months, six months, and 12 months. And as we see and achieve those milestones, then we go through and say, okay, now here's the next step because we know what our lead time is on getting space, talent, everything else that we need in place. And I, and I think that that really, to me, stands out as one of the keys, right, is that you've got to have those triggers that say, okay, we can't get behind, right? We can't go rent the 100,000 square feet today. We can't go lease that today, but we also can't get behind. If we're going to do 10,000 square feet today, we've got to know how much of a lead time we need to do the next 30,000 and we've got to trigger that based on that activity. Right. Yeah. And, and I think what you hit on with that, that story about the company having the three X goal, a lot of people hear this and say, Oh, I've got to have a bold goal, but then they don't do the backfilling of saying a bold goal is fine. As long as you have a plan to get you there. Right. If we're coming off this record year and nothing about it projects being 3x at the end of the year, what is it that's going to be the catalyst for that? And if we don't have it, 
what would we project out to be based on our current growth, right? And, and people, you know, you get people that talk about how uh, you're crushing my dreams, you're being too realistic, or you're you're being having a limited mindset. Um, and a lot of that comes in if it's not not bad to be bold, but it's also not bad to be realistic. And you've got to plan, right? You've got to say, okay, if I'm going to, I mean, one of the things that bites people all the time is I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year. I'm going to lose 25 pounds this year. Well, you got to break that down into a, okay, how much are you going to lose in the first month? How much are you going to lose in the first week? What are you going to change about your current behavior that's going to initiate, that's going to allow that to happen, right? The, the goal of losing X number of pounds in a year is not inherently bad, but what's bad is when people throw that out there and then don't do any of the work to say, how am I going to get from where I'm at to where, to where, to where I want to be? No, I completely agree. And, you know, if, if you just go through that again, I mean, we've touched on there's a plan. And that plan's got to be strategic in nature. It's not just a number. There's got to be a plan of, of how we're going to do that. It has to be realistic, which means it's, it's measurable, it's attainable, and the activities that are going to drive and help us get there. There are then milestones that as we achieve those milestones, those become triggers for other activities. And, and then the one that we've really got to make sure is that there's a continuous evaluation and assessment of how we're doing. And with those in place, you can look and you can grow. It won't always be pretty. I mean, that's the thing, growth. You can think, well, every company wants growth. Growth is not always pretty. Uh, you know, growth can be very difficult because, again, the entire organization, all the way through a field organization, all the way through supply chain, everyone is growing at, along with you. Yeah. And, and I think that hit on two other of the commandments and we'll go through these out of order a little bit. Uh, but that made me think of, uh, number four, which is build the right infrastructure the first time. And number five, always sort out the money. So I'm curious, I, I mean, when you're planning for this growth and when you're trying to, uh, accommodate it, how do you make sure that you have the right infrastructure the first time? And, and if you discover along the way that, hey, this infrastructure isn't right, uh, what would you advise people on? I mean, we see this in the software industry all the time, right? People having to change software providers mid, midstream because their software provider can't grow with them. Um, and so now you're in this position where, okay, first of all, well, let's start there. How do you make sure that you've got the right infrastructure the first time? Well, I think the first one now goes down to um, having the right partnerships. Uh, and it's real easy. I mean, like if we use software as an example, it is easy sometimes to go with the low-cost provider. I'm a startup. I have limited capital. And, and most companies are, the focus is on the marketing and the sales, the customer side of the business uh, I mean, that's just a little bit sweeter. It's a little fancier than the operational, the transactional side of the business. So all too often, I've seen a greater amount of the attention and even the resources can be put on the front end and less attention on the back end. So it's like any software provider will work. It, we're okay down here. And, and that, that decision alone is key because now we're sitting here laying out um, you know, and, and whether it's software or another vendor relationship, a manufacturer, 
uh, you come down in and if they're not in a position to help you grow or if, or if your model, let's say for example your motto is we're going to open up several countries within the first two years. Well, if they've not, never done business internationally, and it's one thing to do business internationally, like we transact with Canada, or we transact with another single market, it's another to say we really have a global footprint, and we understand uh, the ins and outs of taxation, currency, all of the things associated with that. So I'd say that that decision on who your vendor partners are uh, becomes paramount. You've got to take the time right up front because you know these are the people that you're going to spend your time with. One company that I started with, um, you know, we, we had a couple of decisions we made um, really well. Um, we sat down in terms of uh, a software vendor. We were on a platform. They couldn't grow with us. We had to transition to another one. As soon as you know, with that transition, it, it gave us the freedom that we needed. Um, you know, and the, it gave us an operational context, and there still are controls, but there are things that we could do that we could not have been, we could not have grown with without them. Um, you know, on the other hand, we had a manufacturing partner at that time. We're growing at 30% a month, just which any company would say, we love it. Well, we were coming up on a Chinese New Year. We didn't know that they were going to close their factories for two weeks. They closed their factories for two weeks. Guess what happened to us? Our sales grew at 30%. So now we've spent the next two months just playing catch up from a production side of the business. And it wasn't because they were a bad business partner, it's just we didn't understand um, everything about their business model. And given the growth rate, we really didn't forecast well and project to them what uh, our growth path was. So I'd really say, you know, it, it's going to come down that vendor partnerships are key, the, uh, the, the systems that you put in place to support these relationships. And then, you know, just, uh, you know, the old saying, there, there can't be any squirrels in the closet here. We've got to do that. This is a business. It's got to be run in that kind of fashion. Uh, I've gone into computer rooms and I've seen duct tape holding together, you know, pieces of equipment and things. And I, I get that. But at the same time, you've got you know people that are dependent upon you know we we sell products, but we market you know dreams and opportunity, and we're supplying jobs to people, and creating opportunities for home-based businesses, and so we've we've got to approach that in a very again strategic type fashion. Well, I think kind of to piggyback off of that, what that means is you got to be doing your homework, right, about who you're partnering with. And then you also need to be candid with your partners of saying, here are our strategic goals and objectives. How are you going to help us accomplish those? And, and companies can do that, you know, because a lot of times we put the, the company, and, I, and again, I speak from the company side because I've spent more time there, We'll put the onus on the provider and saying it's your responsibility when really it's mine. It's mine to do just what you said. I've got to do my due diligence. I've got to, here are my requirements, what we need to do. Um, I've got to go through and follow up and I want a list of referenceable clients, good and bad. I want to know who I'm working with. And not everybody is going to give you a five star. And I understand that, but I want to have conversations with all of those as, as to what the experience was. And then what you said um, is 
the client has to have the responsibility to bring the vendor to the table and say, here's what we're doing. I mean, we had one company, we grew, we did 10 million our first year, started growing in the second year, started, started hitting about four or five million a month. And the bank came in and said, we're cutting off credit card processing to you. Because their, their risk assessment team was worried we were growing too fast. We had, we had not done a good enough job of going to the bank and giving them what our growth was and what we're expecting to happen. We ended up doing 120, went from 10 million to 125 million. After we hit 125 million, we did find other processors and banks we could work with. They came back to us and said, uh, we're here, we can help you now. I was like, um, you know, shame on us for not communicating, but you know, when we did bring you to the table and showed you what we were doing, you know, they chose to withdraw. And it was only after they saw we were successful, they were willing to come back to the table. So I think what you said is key there. Uh, you know, it's the responsibility of the company to go sit down and form the right alliances and then to communicate regularly. I mean, and it could even be, you know, there could be, and, and I've worked where we have monthly, quarterly, or even annual summits and bring all your vendors to the table and say, here are the, here are the markets, here's what our growth strategy is for this year. And, and they're all, they see what's, you know, what they're a part of. Well, and to that point, we just had uh, one of our clients do that just barely where they had an internal uh, strategic summit intact on to the very end of that was bringing in all of their vendors and saying, here's what the next year looks like for us. Here's what we're planning for. We need you guys to support in that. Uh, if there are things that we need to know about, now's the time, right? And that really does, uh, first of all, now we feel included in that. We feel like we're a partner in their success and we can bring stuff to their attention and say, okay, these are goals that are achievable, but as a partnership, we need to start planning it for X, Y, and Z, right? And it does make it so that everyone's on the same page um, and there can be a better partnership. Right. Um, and one of the things, for example, one thing that can happen here is building that right infrastructure. As you grow, as I said, so does your supply chain. We had one company that was doing our manufacturing, and given our growth, they had to go out and, and purchase a new line to be able to, uh, to double their uh, ability to, to meet our needs. And the bank came in and refused to fund that new line because we as a client now represented more than half of all of their sales. The bank saw that as a risk, and, and it's understandable. I mean, that's a valid concern. And in that case, um, by communicating, working with the company, we actually went in and purchased that line and did it ourselves. We invested in the supply chain to be able to handle our growth. And sometimes there are things like that that you need to do because traditional business is going to look at a hyper growth or growth or a company and, and again, say there is risk here. And there is because I've, I've experienced the downside as, as well as the upside of you know, some of these growth companies. So this now comes into clear communication, especially in the financing, the merchant processing areas, those are key. Supply chain you know, becomes key. Legal counsel becomes key. International, as we start to make these steps, these all play in. Yeah, and I, I think that does all go to, to building the right infrastructure. Now, I did want to get just a couple of thoughts on what do you do if you're in this growth phase and find out that a part of your infrastructure is wrong? I mean, 
how how would you advise people on handling that? Well, um, one thing that I've seen is um, you know every company loves growth, and you know we always say there there can never be too much growth, too much publicity, too much anything. But um, that's why I kind of said earlier, growth can be ugly because growth is going to expose um, where there are seams or flaws or things that we haven't really had the time or opportunity to think through. I mean, one group that I was working with, we were doubling in size every 45 days. To think that you're going to make every decision correct is, is um, it's just silly. The uh, COO sat me down, I'm a young professional trying to figure it out, working those 14 hour days and trying to do everything I can and he came in and said, all right, Steve, here's what I need you to do just make the decision with the best information that you have. And he goes, half the time you could be wrong. I'm okay with that. But what I can't have you do is slowing down the process. You have to be able to make decisions. And when we find a decision that we've made incorrectly, we've got to go back and then we'll assess where we are and we will correct it then. Growth is a pretty easy time actually to make changes. You, I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive but as you're growing, like I say, it's not pretty. People, while there's growth, they expect their, you know, and they're not afraid when, when little things, you know, hit. It's when you plateau and you start experiencing some disruptions in service or other things that people start to get skittish and, you know, they, uh, they start throwing those safety nets out or thinking multiple streams of income, I've got to secure my way. So. As soon as you identify it, again, you've got to deal with it right then and there. You can't wait because six months from now, you could be twice the size again, and all you've done is compound that issue. So it has to be addressed as, as quickly and as soon as it's identified. Perfect. Yeah, and I think that is helpful. And, and like you say, there's something – indecision can be as bad or worse – making the wrong, the wrong decision because uh, it, it, it impedes you moving forward and figuring that stuff out. So uh, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about commandment number five, always sort out the money. Uh, what do you mean by that and how does that play into having that big vision and also building the right infrastructure the first time? Uh, and sorting out the money is key because uh, there's a financial awareness that has to be associated with every activity. Um, and, you know, for example, take a company that's growing, and if they're not setting aside monies to pay commission, uh, sales tax, and, and other obligations that they have, that they're growing and say, we'll just take it out of next month's growth. Well, you can get into a negative cash flow structure real quickly. So, so that's one example. Another is, as you're growing, sometimes you're not paying attention to your cost structure, uh, product costs, for example. Uh, and you might be willing to give up some percentage, some margin on a product thinking we'll make up for it in volume. Well, if, you're, if all of a sudden the buying activity shifts towards that product, what you've just done is hand it away a couple of points that are going right off the bottom line or your ability to reinvest in the company. So, you know, things companies have to do, you know, we control costs. Uh, we sit right here and our goal is, you know, we're not taking everything we're doing and investing it in new product lines, new other things. We've got to ensure that we're running efficiently, we're systematizing uh, the things that we can control and trying to drive down or achieve 
whatever cost efficiencies that we can. We've got, you know, the, the CEO is our visionary. He, he puts it out there in front of us. It's our responsibility then to ensure that everyone else really is focused on profits. And so we've got to make sure that we are in line as to where we ought to be on a cost of goods side, on a commission standpoint. And then sometimes we're willing to just throw bodies at an issue and try and resolve it. You know, we've got to be a lot more strategic than that. Um, we've got to, companies have to be in charge of growth. You can't just let it happen. You've got to be in charge of it. The chaos is going to be there. You can't let it overwhelm you. And you have to find ways to transition smoothly and successfully uh, within that, that chaos. That's just, I mean, that's what I've experienced. Chaos will be there. But is there a way, and as a management team, it's our responsibility to look at that chaos. You know, the leadership is going to paint the future. They're going to say, here's the future. Our responsibility is to find the way to get there. And so, and to do so in, uh, in a cost-efficient and a process-efficient manner. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that you pointed out there, or one of the things that I took out of that is, I've, I've seen it myself where you can get so overwhelmed with the growth and so overwhelmed with everything that comes with that growth that you start to think, okay, well, we'll just deal with the money part later, right? That the growth itself warrants uh, being a little bit looser with the money and it might warrant expenditures, but you have to understand the context to which those expenditures are making. I know you've talked to me about being with a company and over the course of, what was it like two years going through three phone systems, right? Uh, and, and, and those costs may have made sense, right? That you know that you're going to outgrow some of the stuff you're buying, but if you're doing it without the awareness uh, of where you're at financially, that's where it becomes dangerous. Um, or, or, or another example, um, you know, because we talk about this, and sorting out the money isn't always about profitability. It's about investing in, in the business. One of the companies I was with, we, were, we identified that we were on a bad section of the power grid. We were able to see disruptions in our power, and so having UPSs wasn't enough. Uh, we came to the decision that we needed to put in our own power generator um, that had immediate failover in the event, you know, that the grid took a hit. And, um, and this was in the desert southwest, and, it was, and, and there was a cost associated with doing that. And we went in and presented to the owners of the company, and there was kind of that long pause and deep breath, wow, this is a big number, but we showed them what the downside was if we didn't do that. And we made that decision, we invested in that infrastructure, and it was only nine months later that we had uh, an event occur to where we did not have, and we ran on our generator for a month. Hmm. And so, um, so that's why I say it, I, when I talk about sorting out the money, it's making sure that we're allocating it to the right places within the organization. We could be very profitable, and it could be and it, very easy to say, let's throw a couple more points into the compensation plan. Well, once you put them in there, to think that you're going to get them back, no, it's here's our compensation plan. This is what we live on. These are foundational, you know, the, these are what I guess the, the term you hear is, this is our true north. This is what we're going to pay in the plan, and we'll reallocate within this as we need to, 
this is going to be our cost structure for products. We're going to live with this, this for operations. And so that focus is, that's where we sort out the money. And we make those decisions up front so that when, you know, things present themselves to us, the decision's already been made. Uh, and what we sit here and go, does it line up with our vision as a company and what our true north is, or does it not? Yeah, no, I think that, that that's an excellent point. That's it for part one of our episode on Hypergrowth. I want to thank Steve Hooper for his time and also Jana Bangader and Adam Holdaway for production support. Join us again next time.